screen, and that's okay. Um, we will be in Ruth today. We're starting a sermon series called The Five Scrolls. There's five different scrolls that they read at uh, particular Jewish holidays. Um, so five different Jewish holidays, five different scrolls. The scrolls um, are Ruth, they are Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Esther, and Song of Songs. And we're going to look at these over the period of the next uh, ten weeks or so. And uh, we're actually looking at and Lamentations. This is the fifth. Uh, the, uh, we will end on Lamentations. And Lamentations will actually be our the last sermon on Lamentations will be our Easter sermon. And it's going to be good. So bring your friends uh, in ten weeks. You have ten weeks to harass your friends for Easter. And I promise you... Uh, we will figure out seating for Easter, uh, so please come. Uh, we've, we've struggled with seating just the past two weeks and on just regular February and January, so we'll see how Easter goes, but do invite your friends um, to even before Easter. You get bonus points for coming on not Easter, so that would, that, that we'd, we'd uh, appreciate that. Uh, we're going to start with Ruth. And to me, Ruth, Ruth is one of the most, not just in the Bible, but one of the most beautifully written stories in all of literature. Uh, the, the author of Ruth, whoever wrote this down, is, uh, seems to just have been brilliant with uh, how he's connecting things throughout the story. And not... Uh, not on the nose, but subtly, he's sort of winking at things throughout the book. It's beautifully written, and uh, so we're going. We're going to spend two weeks on it. But the book of Ruth is not the story of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a story of Naomi. The book of Ruth has everything to do with Ruth's mother-in-law. Uh, I don't know if you've ever um, had a family member in the hospital who ended up dying in the hospital or in in her house, in her his or her house. Um, in any of those situations, the first time that's ever happened to you, you don't realize how alone you feel mainly because when it happens you don't know what to do next that's the craziest feeling um just sitting there in a hospital room thinking well what now and not just like with my life not just with uh how how we're um what am I, how am I going to go about my life now? Like, literally, like, the ne- what's the next step? Do I just leave the hospital? Do, who do I call at my home? Uh, if, you, if you ever are in that situation, you can call me. I can help you through that. They actually, that's actually a class we had in college was how to go through those steps and stuff. But that sense of, all right, well, I guess it's time to go. Leave the house, leave the hospital. And what's crazy is uh, going down the elevator 
and you're, you're hit abruptly with people who have no idea you're grieving. They're just going about their life. They're just walking in and out of the hospital. Some have balloons. Some just had a baby. Some people are working and eat. they're eating and they're thinking about lunch. And you, you want to look around and you want to say, how are you people thinking about lunch? Actually, yeah, I am pretty hungry. And then as normal thoughts start to invade your grieving thoughts, you feel guilty for having normal thoughts when you should be having grieving thoughts. And it is a very difficult time. That's where the book of Ruth opens. Is in my, in my mind, Naomi sitting in her room, isolated, and just get to that point in grief where you think, well, I've got to get up and go. I can't, I can't just sit here forever. Although it feels like I could sit here forever, I can't just sit here forever. So Naomi gets up and goes to her daughter's-in-law and says, y'all should go home. Go to your mom, go to your gods. Because Naomi wasn't home. Naomi, ten years earlier, had moved with her husband and her two sons from Bethlehem, which was in a famine. There was no food. They had moved to Moab, which is not a part of the people of Israel. It's a pagan country. They have pagan gods. And they moved there, and her husband died. And then her her sons married Orpah and Ruth. And then her sons died ten years later. And so the whole first part of Ruth is death, relocation because of famine, death, death, death. And she tells Ruth and Orpah, y'all expected me to make an Oprah joke right now, but it's not happening. Except that kind of counts. Ruth and, Ruth and Orpah, she brings them to her. She comes out of her tent and says, I'll just need to go. Go home. And both of them, sometimes we make an example out of Orpah, but Orpah was like, no. Ruth said, no. They both said, no. And Naomi says, I've got nothing for you. I can't, I can't have another baby. She tells them. I can't have a child for you to marry. And if even and then she I think she realized how ridiculous that is and says, and even if I did, would you wait on him? And they said, well, she said, just go find go re, go find someone of your own from, from Moab, go to your mother's household, and and you'll be taken care of there. And Orpha says, okay. And Ruth is a bit tenacious. 
Now, I don't know, and I've been I've grieved before, and I I think I can kind of get in Naomi's head a bit, but everyone grieves differently. They experience the grieving process differently, so I don't know for sure. But if I were Naomi, me asking them to leave wouldn't necessarily be completely for them. It'd be for me too. I'd want to be alone. But Ruth says, no, you're not going to be alone. And so they go back to Bethlehem together. And as they were going into Bethlehem, so the two women went, oh, there. So the women, <laughs> so, was that doing that on the screen or just on my iPad here? Was it going nuts? So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Naomi replied, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Mara in Hebrew just means bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, the, the, what we find from Naomi, as they're entering in Bethlehem, is, is a legitimate complaint against God. She, she feels that God has made her life difficult. That God has afflicted her. That God has brought her back empty. That God has, has made her life hard. You may feel that way. And don't let any Christian try to tell you that you need to sort of stop feeling that way. Have you ever walked up to a child uh, who was crying in Walmart and said, you should be happy? How, has that, a, do you think that'd work? No. You can't tell a child to just quit an emotion. You can't tell an adult to either. Has the phrase calm down ever worked? Calm, if you tell anybody, calm down, it has the opposite effect. I am calm. This escalates it. Don't tell people to calm down. You can't govern other people's emotions. That's just not the way emotions work. And when we have this deep-seated anger, not just toward our situation, but let's be honest about it, toward God, then that is what you feel. And it would be disingenuous of you to go before God and pretend like that's not happening. Any relationship in which we decide that we're going to pretend to be happy is not a good relationship. Any relationship where I'm angry at my spouse, in this example, it's an imaginary spouse because I'm not angry at Rachel anymore. 
She knew it was coming. She knew something stupid was coming. She was back there going like, here it comes. But I, but so say I'm angry at Rachel, really upset. What good does it do to go, she doesn't even know I'm angry? Yep, because I haven't told her. That's my stupid head making stupid choices. We Relationships that communicate their, their, their joy, their excitement, relationships that communicate their sadness, their anger, their frustration, relationships that communicate when they're upset with each other are healthy relationships. The unhealthy ones are the ones that sort of say, well, this is not how I'm supposed to feel. I'm supposed to be happy. <laughs> Who cares about supposed to? What actually is? And so if you want a healthy relationship with God and you're upset with God, follow Naomi's example and complain to God. God wants a relationship with you, a good one. And the frustrations we feel about life can only, we, that can help our relationship with God if we proclaim them. And notice, Naomi's not just saying this in, the, in, in her own private room. She's going, people say, hey, Naomi. She says, don't even call me Naomi. My name's Mara. I'm bitter because of God. That's, that's her proclamation in the street. And we get no, from the writer here, from the, from the storyteller, we get no uh, hint that this was frowned upon. There's no, the women of the street looked upon Naomi with, with sadness. No, they, they just heard her. And they lived in a time, that last verse of Judges, right before Ruth, if you've been looking for Ruth in your Bible this whole time, It comes right after Judges, and improperly so. Ruth happens, Ruth, the, the story of Ruth happens um, in the time of the Judges. And the last verse of, of Judges 21 says, And in that time there was no king, and men did as they pleased. It was, it was not a great situation, and Naomi was a, a widow in this walking around trying take, taking care of another widow in this situation her life was broken she was bitter she felt empty that's good cuz you feel that way sometimes and the, the worst thing we can do is just ignore it the worst thing we can do before god is pretend that it doesn't happen do you think you go to god angry and pretend you're not. Actually, the worst thing we do is we give God the silent treatment when we're angry with God. And don't talk to God at all. Pretend he's not even in the room. Naomi's bitter. Naomi is upset. She returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth and the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is setting up the next story plot. Furthering the story here. But 
let's keep remembering, and we'll talk about this next week, that Ruth is a foreigner. She doesn't just have another Israelite woman with her, another Israelite widow. She has a Moabite widow. But the story of Ruth progresses in chapter 2. Naomi says, Ruth, go go in on the field and just see if you can get some food. Just walk. Basically, what she asked her to do is you walk behind the people who are who are picking the grain, and they're crazy with it, and it's falling down. And actually, there's a law that says don't pick up what you drop. Just in case people who are very hungry, just in case uh, Leviticus says um, the alien or the um, the uh, the passerby take care of the people who have nothing by not being thorough and leave the edges of your field so that those who are walking by can have food. And so they, they walk, they, and if they drop something, she gets to pick it up. And so that's what she did. She went and she just just picked a, a field at random, and it belonged to this guy named Boaz. Really handsome-sounding name. Boaz, uh, turns out, is one of her uh, relatives that um, she is, spoiler alert, in the end going to marry. That's just the way things work. But she was, he was a distant relative. He was a, that was a good Arkansas marriage. He was fine. But Boaz uh, comes up, comes, comes in for the harvest and he says, Who's that woman? And she comes and explains herself, says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here to get grain. And he said, well, here, go, go get actual grain. Go pick it up yourself. And have, hey, guys, help her pick some grain. And take this and have a good lunch. And then take, take grain back. So look, it says in uh, chapter 2, So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered. And it amounted to about an ephah. An ephah. That's crazy, right? She carried it back to town. That was a joke. Y'all don't know what an ephah is. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So she comes back. Okay, remember, remember what she said? The Lord has brought me back empty. And then already, chapter 2, there's this imagery of Ruth bringing and filling her once again. She said, where did you get this? And, and uh, Ruth says, uh, hey, there's this guy named Boaz. And we'll, we'll dive into this story a little bit more next week. But essentially, Naomi says, oh, I can work this pretty. This, he turns out. He's our kinsman redeemer. Dum, dum, dum. Kinsman redeemer is just someone who's related to you. It's the closest person who's responsible for you if, if your husband died. The closest relative is responsible for, for you. And, and specifically, if you have no kids, then he's responsible to give you some. We'll get to Song of Songs about that later. But there's this, uh, there's, there's, 
a, a romance that happens that's orchestrated by Naomi. Naomi says, go, here's, here's what you're going to do. Wait until he's good and sleepy. That's a joke. She says, wait until he's good and drunk. But in, you know, Churches of Christ, sleepy. Wait until he's had a long day and he's eaten a lot of turkey and he's ready to go to sleep. And you, uh, he is, and then you go into his tent and um, see if he wants to marry you. So, all of that happens. To spoil next week's story. But all of that happens, and they end up having a child. And what, what happens after they have a child is, listen to the way they phrase it. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, please praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Notice it doesn't say Ruth has a son. Naomi has a son. So the, the story starts with her losing her husband and her two sons. And then it progresses to her emptiness and her bitterness and her loneliness. She helps find a redeemer. And then it comes back and it starts taking care of the initial problem. I'm going to clarify that in just a second. But it does. She was empty and then she was filled. She was lonely and she finds family. She was without a son and now she has a son. Notice, it doesn't take care of the initial problem. Having a grandson or granddaughter does not replace your son or your daughter. We are not asking people to read this story and say, see, things get better. We're asking people... We're asking, I'm asking you to see the story itself and to remember that God keeps working. God keeps moving. He didn't bring her son back to life. He didn't bring her husband back to life. He didn't restore those 10 years she lost in Moab. But God just kept pushing, kept working. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in a book about the five scrolls, um, speaking specifically of Ruth and Naomi, 
says that God, um, in little subtle ways, throughout the story of Ruth, reminds us that he is still about his business so that we can still be about ours. That we can move forward not forgetting grief, not walking out of the hospital room, not walking out of our, of our parents' house. We, we can move forward not forgetting it, but knowing that God moved with us. And that our stories, as long as, they, as we progress, as we move forward, not move on, but move forward with God, with the help of God, in relationship with God, as we move forward, God's larger story is advanced. So remember the book ends where he lost, a, lost her husband, her sons. She's empty and bitter. She's filled. She rejoices. And Naomi has a son. Well, if you back up a bit and kind of include Judges, where ju- the last chapter of Judges says, and Isra- in that time, Israel had no And then the last words of the story, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi's story, um, just in its current context, is is painful and redemptive all at the same time. And that's all of our stories. All of our stories, we're, we're not... Most movies make it out to be where you you kind of have a bad thing that happens and then and then it's and then it gets better. About like an hour and a half later, everything's happy and then it seems like it's going to go real bad and then it's happy again and then the story's over and that's not how life works. Life works like I am constantly dealing with joy and sorrow all at the same time from the moment I'm born to the moment I die. I'm constantly grieving and rejoicing. That's just how life goes. We're all sad and happy and angry and scared sometimes. But in our story, God is moving God is working. And he's, God is using our story for larger salvific. He almost uses like a scholarly word that I can't pronounce. Salvific? Um, uh, he's using our, our, our story for this larger salvation story. Where the world is being set right through us as we follow the one who set it right, Jesus. And it takes a long time to do. It takes a long time to even see, and I probably won't even see. Naomi didn't know her son, her grandson became king, or her great grandson became king. Naomi probably never even met David. What we find 
her story produces another story. And your, your, your great-grandson or great-granddaughter may not eventually become someone who leads a great nation into following God. That's probably not going to happen. Odds are. Your story starts a new one, which starts a new one, which starts a new one. And some of you have come out of stories where you've said, I'm not going to live like my parents did. I'm living different, and I'm choosing that. And so this new salvation story happens from, from, from the get-go with you. And so one story begets another, begets another. There's a, a mic drop moment in here when the author says, um, and Naomi had a son, and they named him Obed, who, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Boom. And then the storyteller just walks away. There's this later edition that kind of rephrases that. But you can tell from the Hebrew that the story ends there for the original writer. And then a scholar has come along, a rabbi has come along, adapted it, amended it. So you may feel like you're sitting here thinking, what do I do now? Maybe you've felt that for a decade. What do I do now? God's about his business. And that doesn't make pain go away. It doesn't make tragedy go away. It doesn't make grief go away. It doesn't mean we should stop grieving. It doesn't mean we should stop being angry at God for a time and expressing that to God. But God's still in the resurrection business. God still is about overcoming death. God is about his business. And that means you can, whether it be sad, sadly, pleasantly, happily, worried, whatever it is that grief is doing to you, you still can go about yours. Because you have one who walks with you. And wants to listen to you even when you're upset with him. I hear um, people talk about this a lot. Um, Rachel and I have been married uh, a certain number of years. Um, it'll be 12 this May, on a certain date in May. And uh, we... Um, there have been moments where we've been riding in the car and I thought, oh no, she is upset with me. And oh no, I don't know why. It's happened a couple of times, not a lot. It's happened a couple of times. Maybe it's happened a couple of times with you. But it's weird that you can feel it, right? Like heat, you know, just on your skin. And there's been times that she's felt that with me where I, I've been sitting there frustrated, angry, upset, and she's thought, 
what, what's going on with you? You know what I always say? Nothing. I know you're concerned for me and everything, but let me lie to you real quick. But, like, you, you know, like, your, your spouse wants to know when they ask, right? Most of the time. And the way you're feeling, the way you're experiencing that matters to God. Because your story matters to God. Because your story matters to what God is doing in the world. And we've got to decide, are we going to get up and move with God, whether it's in grief. No, notice I'm not saying, get up, be happy. Sing and be happy. That's not the invitation song, is it? Is it the, okay, good. We're not saying get up and make things, things are going to be all right. Things aren't going to be all right. But God keeps moving with us. Things aren't always going to be okay, but God is with us constantly. And he wants to hear when God cares, God cares about that you're upset with him. God cares about that you feel empty, that you feel bitter. And your story needs to be told, it needs to be lived. God is about his business so that you can be about need prayers. This is one of those sermons where you just need prayers. Like I just I just need to I need I need people to know I'm struggling and I need them to pray for me and I need them to 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 be with me. Maybe you have a complaint. Maybe you're walking into Bethlehem and we're like, "Hey, it's you." And no, no, it's not me. This isn't the real me. I I I got something to say. Maybe you've got a complaint, and the church needs to hear it. We can take that to God together. Maybe you want to be a part of this large salvation story. You know, the lineage didn't just end with David. It kept going, and it kept on, and it kept on, and then all of a sudden, there's Jesus. who at the peak of history, I believe, didn't just conquer Roman crucifixion, he conquered death. They killed him, and it didn't work. And he did that for you. Maybe you want to be a part of that. Today's the day to start. Today's the day to say, I, I give my life not just for myself, but for Jesus to be a part of the larger story and invite God to be a part of your smaller story. God wants you to be a part of his story and he wants to be a part of your story. And he can do fantastic things with broken, happy, grieving, joyful, excited, depressed people. If you need anything, this morning. Please come forward while we stand and sing.